Arizona Common Ground is about exploring issues from a public health perspective. While recording and listening to this podcast, I hope to create an environment where we can challenge ourselves to listen intently, think openly, debate intelligently, and care endlessly. So thank you for listening in. Support for AZ Common Ground comes from the Western Region Public Health Training Center at the University of Arizona. In this episode, we will be speaking with Professor Leela Barraza, who will discuss amending, stalling, and how a bill dies. We use the case study of vaccination laws to talk about the relationship between federal policy and state policy. So, how does federal policy coming out of Washington affect our state? Meanwhile, Senator Carter explains how a bill can be resurrected and that nothing is truly over until sine die. So let's quickly run through where we currently are in the bill process. In episode one, we introduced telemedicine bill SB 1089 as a case study. Episode two demonstrated that the bill has been assigned and introduced to its designated committees, and it gives us a deep dive into who is who in the legislative room and how to address the committee. Episode three is a behind the scenes look at the testimonial phase from a lobbyist insider perspective, much of which happens outside of the recorded committee hearings. Episode four prepped us for how we, non-agency or lobbyist individuals, would prepare for testimonials. We shared more about what the process looks like from the outsider's perspective and how to best prepare for a strategic testimonial. Episode five shares information on Arizona's healthcare history, and we discuss the four American core values that explain the difficulty of changing the healthcare system and its structure. Today in episode six, we will discuss the bill process and explain that nothing is truly over until sine die. Let's go. I'm Deb Gullett. My name is Will Humble. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Gerald. I'm Cherie Stone. This is Dr. Laura Coco. Thank you for listening to AZ Common Ground. The use of the word common ground is essential in order to get anywhere. You can't get the higher ground till you get the common ground. So in order to get the common ground, you have to come out of the underground. Hello, welcome to Arizona Common Ground. I am your host, Krista, and I am sitting here with Leela Barraza, and I'm gonna let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Leela Barraza. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Arizona Melanated Zuckerman College of Public Health. I focus on um, the impact of laws and policy on public health. I also serve as a consultant for the Network for Public Health Law Western Region. Awesome, well, thank you for making time to see me today. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Do you mind giving us a bit of your background and how you came to be? Sure. Thank you. I started in college thinking that I was going to um, go into medical school. I started actually as pre-med. And while I loved um, the classes I took, I really um, found an interest in the um, population health side and the public health side of it and not so much the clinical side. And so then I went and got my master's of public health. And in that class or in that um, degree, I took a class that followed legislation and we met with a um, state senator at the time. And I really, really piqued my interest in policy and the impact of policies on population health. So then I actually applied to law school and I went and um, got my JD from um, ASU. And following that, I worked for um, as a law clerk for a court of appeals for a few years. And then there was an opening at the ASU's Public Health Law and Policy Center. Cool. And so I uh, got to work there as a fellow and really learn about um, academia and more about public health law. And then joined the faculty at U of A in 2014. Wow. 
And now I teach um, public health law and ethics and um, the public health policy field seminar. And I really try to um, educate the public health students on um, the legislative process and how they can further their roles in public health um, after graduation. Thank you for sharing. Um, so we're going to jump right into it um, and speaking about the legislative process. So today we're talking about amendments, stalling, and killing bills eventually. So can you walk us through the process of how a bill becomes a law? And I'm not saying like sing the bill song or anything, but can you walk us through that? Give us a synopsis. Sure. I, I guess a sort of a bridge version is a bill would be introduced either in the House of Representatives or in the, the Senate. And then it would be um, assigned to committees. And if it's passed out of committees, then it would have to be voted on by uh, the um, committee of the whole of all of the senators or all of the representatives. And there's, you know, I'm skipping the Oh, we'll get into details. it. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're giving the overview. <laughs> this is just a, a bridge version. Um, and then if it, if it was introduced in the House and it passed in the House, then it would go to the Senate and it would go through the process again. It would have to go to committees and get passed in the Senate. And then um, if it then passed in the Senate, if it was the same as it started, if the bill looked the same as it was in the House, um, then it can, you know, go on and, and be sent to the governor. If it looks differently, then they will have to decide what it, the final version, which version to use and, and what that's going to look like. And then it can go on to the governor. Gotcha. Thank you. That was a really good synopsis. That was like a quick two minute version. <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, so something I am learning uh, during the internship is once a bill is introduced, a lot of either it comes from constituents coming to the legis the legislators saying, you know, this is something that must be addressed, or or it's a legislator that has an idea that they would like to fulfill, or someone sees a gap that they want to address. With that process, if we start at the beginning when it's introduced, what the committees are, because I, you know, there's a lot of committees and how they're assigned, and maybe name a few of the committees so people can gain an idea of the process that this bill is going to go through and how many committees and maybe how many testimonials people may have to attend and give us a bit more of that background? Well, I think what most people think when they think of um, like a debate on legislation or discussion, that happens really in the, the committees. So you have people that are for a, a piece of legislation or against it. And in the committees, there's health committee, there's judiciary, there's you know a variety of, of committees. There's appropriations committee if it deals with a, has a monetary impact and there's education workforce. There's different committees where really the debate and discussion that I think people typically think of when they're thinking of whether something will become law, that's really where a lot of that happens. So you'll have groups such as like the Arizona Public Health Association or other groups come and say, you know, we are supportive of this bill or, you know, we are opposed to this bill. And then the um, committee members can ask questions of those testifying and really get to um, the impact of the proposed legislation, what would happen, why it's being proposed, and and really decide whether they will vote for it or not. Is there a specific bill that you've worked on that you remember in somewhat in detail the whole process and kind of the obstacles that you went through? I'm thinking, uh, for example, the one I would know is uh, with Dr. Lynn Gerald. She passed uh, help. She worked on HB 2208. Had to. Um, they needed policy to be passed in order to allow schools to um, 
retain, administer, and deliver these uh, albuterol medications. It did not have to go through appropriations because it did not require any money. However, it had to pass Health Human Services, and I'm not sure if it had to go through the Education Committee as well. But is there an example maybe you've worked on that you can walk us through your experience? I did some following of the Community Health Worker Bill, and I know... I think some of the other members of podcasts is yeah talk, talk, about. talk to me about it from your um, perspective. So yeah, I think that went through it. You know, any piece of legislation, just like the community health worker certification bill, it goes through a lot of iterations in the process. You know, there's you you do a lot of stakeholder meetings before, so I think there's you know an idea of what the the process might be once it gets as once it's written as a bill and you know once it's introduced. But then, you know, you have different inputs and that's what happens when you have different stakeholders. And so it really can be amended and changed. And, and that was amended and changed. And, and you know, it worked through the process. There was a lot of discussion of who who's voting for it or who's voting against it. And, and I know um, there was a lot of work done on the part of um, Ashow, the state community health work organization. And they worked really hard to, you know, put forth why they thought this was necessary. And I think that's a big thing is getting the stories across as to why something, you know, is needed to be in a, you know, law, why it needs to be in statute. And they did a really great job at at making sure they had people representing that were community health workers or representing agencies that work with community health workers Mm -hmm. to make sure that the legislatures knew, you know, the legislators knew why, why this was bringing, brought forth. Yeah. You almost have to paint not just a picture, but you have to give examples and do an educational component. And that's mm-hmm. fascinating. And I've not been lucky enough to take a, your health law and ethics course yet. Are there maybe a, f- a few topics or a few tips that you immediately think of or the examples? Or I haven't been lucky enough to take the course, but mm-hmm. is there something that you can maybe share with the listeners? Sure. Um, in that course, we do track bills and they do do a field trip to the Capitol. And I do remember... One student asking me once if she could come with her son back to the Capitol. And I thought that was so great because it was, it is, it's open to the public, but I don't think it, it kind of reminded me that it's, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, that they can go and observe these committee hearings. And if there is something they are passionate either, you know, for or against, they can go and um, be there to, you know, represent their personal, you know, views and, and, you know, just observe if they want to observe or participate in the process. And it, it's really meant for people to be able to give input. And so mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's great that you're doing this podcast and, and for other, you know, courses that we have at the university just to, to educate, especially those on public health, because public health policy is just so important. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I agree. And there's so much more to it than we imagine. And public health as itself, it's already encompasses so much. And, uh, Shifting gears, but still in health policy um, from the law perspective, right now we're going through an opioid crisis and Arizona's done a pretty good job on trying to uh, put in laws to protect people from that and protect uh, physicians. But um, if there is something happening from the federal level, and I'm thinking health law, if we're looking at a bill, let's say the relationship between the federal level and the state level, how does that transcend down to the state level? Oh, that's a great question. So I think I'll probably use um, maybe like vaccines as an example. Perfect. So the uh, states have um, what's what's called um, referred to as police powers, 
And it's really the authority of the state to provide for, you know, and protect the, the general welfare of, of the residents of the state. And so there are certain things that have been, you know, reserved to the states and, and given to their, their authority of um, what they can do in terms of public health. One of the things that's recognized for states is um, allowing for mandatory vaccine laws. And so that's a state-by-state state thing. So we have all 50 states allowing for medical exemptions. So if you have a medical reason not to get a, a vaccine, that, that's allowed in all 50 states. You can still attend school. Um, but then the, the other exemptions, we have something called philosophical exemptions or religious exemptions. Those look different in different states. We have three states that, that only allow for medical exemptions and nothing else. Uh, there is no federal vaccine policy that encompasses all states. It's done and that's done at the state level. So our state legislators are the ones that really implement those, pass those policies. Because they have the, the ability to actually choose. They have the, yeah, so they have the authority in that area under their police powers to, um, and there's a, a very famous case uh, called Jacobson versus Massachusetts that gave, that, that recognized that yes, states have the authority to require vaccinations. Awesome. Thank you for the example. Can I maybe bring up uh, marijuana laws? So I'm thinking right now we, we're seeing a boom for some states legalizing, but then we're seeing things like CBD that are not actually regulated from a law perspective. How does that work? Because according to the federal government, it's still illegal. Can you maybe explain that from a law perspective? Sure. Yeah, it is still illegal, you know, at the federal level. And um, it's it, states have chosen to, you know, there are states that have passed medical marijuana programs or recreational marijuana, and there potential that there could be federal, you know, implications of that. Um, we haven't seen anything come down yet, but under um, President Obama, there was kind of a, a recognition. There was a, a, a statement, a letter put out that um, medical marijuana programs, if they weren't, wasn't really their target, that they were going to go after and we have a new administration, obviously, it's a mm -hmm. different administration. So it, it could very well be that, you know, there has there is federal prosecution or federal implications for those medical marijuana or recreational marijuana programs, but we haven't really seen that yet. Gotcha. And in regards to health care, um, we see that there's, a, and again, um, different administrations, different laws, so mm -hmm. we constantly have to be analyzing what's been passed, what works, what doesn't, maybe use case studies, or like, as you mentioned, previous like Supreme Court studies. Mm -hmm. But from a health perspective, um, what's something that we should be thinking about as public health professionals when we are trying to advocate for something? Should we be looking at federal law and what they say or what the past history of what states have done? Or what are some tips that we should be prepared for when we do want to advocate for something at the state level? I think um, it really... It's hard to say because it's really depends on what state you're in. Gotcha. And there are um, federal policies that, you know, if you think of the Affordable Care Act that has, you know, very huge public health implications. And there are components of that law that have, you know, very detailed public health implications, such as, you know, um, tobacco cessation, co cessation coverage or the Public Health Prevention Fund that funds, you know, public health programs. And there are it's, I think it depends on what you're interested in. There are opportunities at the federal level, for sure, and there's opportunities at the state level, but each state is so different politically and, um, you know, the public health environment is different in different mm -hmm. states. So I think it really depends on someone's interests. 
and, you know, their geographic location, they might be located, you know, we have different issues in um, border states than we might have in, you know, East Coast states. So Mm -hmm. it it can really vary on on what the environment is and what that person's interested in, what they want to get, you know, get involved in. Mm -hmm. And so, and that is very true. And I guess since I live in Arizona, that's kind of where I spent most of my focus. And for example, I guess it's one of the case studies I keep bringing up, but HB 2208, again, the stock inhaler law. Uh I recall um, I had the opportunity to present Oregon at the Oregon Public Health Association because they want to pass similar law. Uh So I have noticed in some circumstances, even though the legislators, you know, either the Senate or the House, depending on whatever state you're in, they do almost sometimes copycat each other's laws if it's a success. Mm-hmm. Um, can Do you have an example or can you share an experience where maybe in Arizona we have um, seen a success story come out from a different state and we have replicated it here? You know, I think it, it depends because we have had instances where um, we've been, you know, at the forefront of certain topics and then sometimes we might be one, you know, one of the last like like texting laws you know there's a lot of states that have texting laws and um so i think you know you can it really depends on the topic so there Mm -hmm. might be a topic where you can say look all these states have it and we really should have it here or we often see sometimes what happens too is local cities have laws first and then it becomes a state law so like Mm -hmm. in in terms of smoke-free arizona we had local jurisdictions that had um, smoking bans for restaurants like Tempe had one, but we didn't have a statewide. And then there was a, a statewide, you know, a proposition brought forth initiative. And we then had Arizona Smoke Free um, Act. You know, we weren't the first one to do it, but we were, you know, we made it in a way that the voters brought forth this initiative and we made it, you know, a, it made a public health passage mm-hmm. protecting people from secondhand smoke. Yeah. So starting small is sometimes key mm-hmm. in order to getting something passed because policy does pass so slowly. Yeah. We expect immediate results, but we forget how long the process is. Like going yeah. back to the committees, as we mentioned, is depending on what your topic is, it could be assigned to, well, they all go through at least two committees because every bill passes through the rules committee. Mm-hmm. And then, as you mentioned, depending on if it, that legis- part of legislation is asking for some type of money or monetary compensation in order to make it possible it has to pass through appropriations committee so depending on what your bill is you might be assigned to two three four committees mm-hmm. and from what i've learned so far is the more committees you're assigned to that's kind of not dangerous but there's yeah. a can sure <laughs> yeah so i mean the more committees you has to go through it's more of a hurdle mm-hmm. it's just more of a challenge because it's more opportunity for people that are against a bill to voice their concerns and it's just ha- that just means you have to get so many more people in the you know the committee members to vote for whatever the legislation is, mm-hmm. and so it just creates more challenges. The obviously the path to least resistance is you have one committee. For example, if you went to health committee, it passed out of health. If it goes through rules, it passed out of rules, and then it can go you know to go on to the process. Mm-hmm. If it has to go through three committees, it has to get you know, on the calendar of three committees, which is a challenge because, you know, there's certain deadlines when um, bills have to be heard in committee. So the more times you have to do that, obviously the more of an obstacle that just creates and the more, um, also the more times that it has for a bill to be killed because it, if it didn't get heard in the deadline in all those committees or if there was, you know, new people that came forward in opposition that, you know, 
were made a, a convincing case that those committee members voted against the bill. It's just more opportunities for that. Yes, and I would also add, and correct me if I'm wrong, but every time it goes through a committee, let's say one committee just, you know, says, hey, we well, have to amend this. Mm-hmm. And then every time you amend it, it has to almost start over the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then that's even like more hurdles that you have to continue restarting. Well, yeah. And if it's amended, then, you know, you have to everyone has to be up to date on what the amendment says mm-hmm. and what the impact of the amendment is. And there might be different ideas of what and you know the amendment should look like that all have to be kind of worked out. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the more people, the more committees it goes through is just more the just makes the process more challenging to get it through the process. The process is long already. Mm-hmm. So obviously any additional barriers, you know, just makes it a, it's just a harder process. And as a public health organization or even a professional that's, you know, leading, um, you know, uh, or is trying to follow, not follow a bill, but they're trying to leave this bill to the finish line. What, how can you prepare for those amendments other than just do you meet with people in advance or how do you, how do you make sure your bill doesn't, you know, start off as a, as in, I don't know, as a chicken and finishes like a cow, you know? Well, some of that's unpredictable. I mean, a lot of that's out of your hands, but Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is about stakeholders and stakeholder engagement beforehand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, knowing who is sponsoring the bill and working with them and, you know, having a plan beforehand. But honestly, it can really take on its own little, you know, path that, you know, that's up to the the elected officials. So, and let's say they change it so much that it doesn't even look like the bill that it first started. And I, and I should have asked you about strike everything. Actually, can before we move forward, can mm-hmm. you explain what striking everything is for uh, legislation? Yeah. So there are deadlines where um, bills have to be dropped by a certain date, and if it's that date is passed, then say something you know comes up or there's a new issue that comes up. There, the mechanism for getting something a bill continued through the process, if it's past that date, you know, you're already into the legislative session and it's past the date where bills had to, you know, already be dropped, um, you can do what um, the mechanism is, is like a strike everything. So mm-hmm. the language that is currently in that bill, so it's a bill that was already submitted and for whatever reason that bill wasn't going to go through the process, it had stalled or whatever the case might be, it had died. Um, strike everything means it's just all the language is, is stricken, literally, you know, mm-hmm. crossed and literally crossed yeah, off. Crossed when you look off. at the bill, it's, there's yeah. a line right yeah. there. It. <laughs> it's literally crossed off and then new language is, is put in, but it, it's a, a vehicle. It's a mechanism for getting that new, whatever bill that you want through the system past some of those deadlines. And if someone has, let's say they, they introduced a bill and we're going back to where we where we kind of picked, finished off, um, where your whole bill is completely different than the way it started, mm-hmm. is there any way to strike everything and kind of, kind of start over? Or does it have to be something completely different? For, you could, well, you could always amend a bill and have it look in the amendment would still be the same, you know, topic that it started with but mm-hmm. it, it could the language could look very different gotcha so would that be a tactics of what someone would be able to do if they started with an idea and they had it on paper and that was the bill and maybe that bill died and they're trying to reintroduce it can they put it as a strike everything on a different bill not sure all right so for example <laughs> no thank you um so let's say bill number one um 
it died in one of the committees because it didn't get a hearing. Mm -hmm. So you have a different bill, Bill 2, where you don't think it's really going to go anywhere or you don't have the stakeholders behind it. And you're like, you know, I have no one to rally behind this bill. What if I just strike everything in this bill number two and try to reintroduce bill number oh, one? Oh, gotcha. I see. So like is um, no, because that bill died. So, ah, so you can't yeah. even reinstigate it. Not that I'm aware of um, is as far as I, you know, I've always seen it's been something else like it's mm -hmm. uh, you you're, you know, putting a new topic forward. I mean, I guess it's, I'm, I'm not really sure on that. No, no worries. I was, yeah. I was just thinking, I was like, huh, strategy. Yeah. Um, so just to like uh, finish up, I just wanted to ask um, if there's anything from maybe some main pointers from your law and ethics class or something you'd share with the audience about the law perspective on public health policy or um, something that you think is very important or something that's very passionate to you that you'd like to share with the audience. And you can take a second to think about it because I know I didn't really give you that much time with the questions. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I, I just think it's really important. And, you know, like I said, I think it's great you're doing this podcast. I just think it's really important for people to understand that they can, you know, go on the website and they can see what bills are being introduced and they can easily see where those bills are in the process, you know, and, and they can go in person and, and observe those and, and participate in the process. And I just think the more... Um, public health folks we have that, that are interested in the process and, and recognize the, the importance and learn about it and get involved in the, in the legislative process, I, I think, you know, that's just great. You know, it's the more voices we can have in public health, the better. You know, I was teaching about um, uh, vaccines recently, and I, there was a discussion about Washington State and they had in their state legislators were reviewing a bill related to vaccine exemptions. Right and now, Washington has an outbreak of, is it measles? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just, just a caveat. Context, okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, I was showing the students a, a news clip that was showing um, some of the protesters that were protesting against the bill. So they they were, they were these protesters were parents who did not want to be required to vaccinate their children. Mm -hmm. And so they were protesting the idea that they would um, have to vaccinate. And one of the students asked me, you know, well, wh why are these protesters so vocal and why do you just see them? And I said, well, you know, you're not, they were the ones that showed up, you know, and, uh, yeah. and they, so those are the voices you hear. So if, if those are the people that show up, then those are the voices that are heard. And in, in public health, of course, there were people that testified in the committees that were um, from the health department that were discussing the outbreak and, and discussing the, the need for vaccination. But those people that were on the steps of the state capitol were the ones that were protesting the bill and were making their voices very, you know, heard very loudly. Mm -hmm. And so I think the more, you know, we recognize that, you know, sometimes if we just sit back and don't hear our voices, you know, not all of the, um, you know, state representatives or senators know have a background in health you know they're not mm -hmm. necessarily doctors or nurses or dentists you know they may not have an education in in public health mm -hmm. and so someone needs to help them and and you know and inform them and explain why from public health perspective something might be important or something might be dangerous mm -hmm. and so i i think it's your great opportunity for you to educate people on how to use their voice and make that their their positions known Thank you.
And also, as you mentioned, the accessibility, the doors open. Mm -hmm. We just need people that we just need manpower because it seems that um, only one voice is heard because no one else shows up. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that changes. Thank yeah. you so much, Lila. I appreciate your time. Anytime. Thank you. Common Ground. I am your host, Krista, and I'm here on the third floor in the Senate with Senator Carter in her office. Thank you, Senator Carter, for your time. My pleasure. So we're going to jump right into it, and we're talking about, at the end of it all, the bill, we've learned about the process, the engagement, and now we're trying to find out what happens at the end. So we're now we're thinking, so following Senate Bill 1089 with telemedicine, Senator Carter, now we're at the end, what does that look like? So every bill is still alive until signy die. Signy die is the last day of session. And we as a legislative body have to vote to complete our work. And somebody makes a motion to signy die. And then you take a vote. Wait, what is signy die? It means we've completed our work. Senior it's D. Latin. Oh, that's it. I was wondering, yes. I was like, senior is, is to sign and yes. D is to die. Okay, I get it. I'm with so you. So we've completed our work. And once we sign and die, every bill that did not receive a hearing, didn't get a final vote, is dead. But while we're still in session, even though we're not having committees, in the middle of the night, we call them zombie bills, a bill that could have been dead 17 times over during the session can resurrect a heartbeat, grow legs, and... <laughs> Drop back into the legislative session and go up for a vote. I've seen it happen every year. Or bills that we've never even really talked about get introduced. People, you know, with 3116, you can waive the rules and introduce a brand new concept that never received a hearing. How do people accomplish that though? 31 and 16. All right, 31 and 16. Is that uh? Those are like the magic numbers. 31 members of the House say oh. we've got to do this. 16 members of the Senate say we have to do this. And next thing you know, there's a new bill. Wow. Okay. Or an old idea grew, you know, gained a heartbeat and started moving again. So every bill is alive until signy die. But once we signy die, every bill dies. We close out session. And so then to have that idea resurrected, you'd have to open up a whole other legislative session to move it again. So you'd have to wait till the next year or if there was a special session, which the governor would call special session in that case. So... This bill that we've been following this legislative session moved through the process and was voted in favor by both the House and the Senate and is awaiting the governor's signature. Yes. And so now the bill has been transmitted to the governor. If you listen really, really, really closely after a vote, by your vote of 30 I's, zero nays, and everybody present, Senate Bill 11, 1089, 1089 has received um, due pass recommendation. One of that's in the, that's in committee uh. um, <laughs> has received its for final has been approved for final passage. I can't remember what the exact language is, and then be transmitted to the governor. So then it gets transmitted to the governor, and then the governor has a certain number of days to sign a bill. It's ten, and then he can do one of three things: he can sign it, he can veto it, or he can ignore it. And if the governor ignores it. Um, after five days, the bill becomes law. We are just waiting for the governor's signature. Now, usually, typically, if a bill has tremendous support and it's passed either unanimous, maybe one or two votes against, you're not necessarily worried about a veto. However, I have had a bill 
that is passed unanimously. And it was vetoed by the governor. So it can happen. But even if they're vetoed... Because that's, that's a vote. The governor gets the ultimate vote with the pen. However, or a stamp. If I understand correctly, with their pen and stamp, I'm not saying it's invisible ink, but I thought that the House and the Senate, it with is it three-fourths or two-thirds majority? You can override a veto. So you can override a, the yeah. veto. And yeah. oh. That's also never happened since oh, I've been serving. Oh, interesting. I'm not saying it's never happened, but since I've served, it has never happened. Now, when I was first elected, we had what was called a supermajority in the majority party. So there were 40 Republicans in the House, 20 Republicans in the Senate. There was lots of talk about overriding a veto. It was just never done. That is what I would consider a nuclear option. Here's what people forget about the legislature that I think that is critically important. You really have to focus on the issue because on one day you might be voting for something, the next day you might be voting against something, but then the very next day you might be back on the same side of an issue. So as fun as it may sound to override a veto, that doesn't make for a great relationship with the executive. And you probably have another couple hundred bills that he or she would need to sign. So you you have to remember that it really is a team effort down here. Yes. You want people to treat your issues with the same respect and attention that you would treat their issues. Now, I'm not saying that if you have an issue with a bill and you want to vote against it, or if you're a governor and you want to veto it, absolutely do that. But you want to think about it in a way that is respectful to the individuals working on the issue and maybe give them a heads up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially when it's, I don't want to say political suicide, but if you are to, you know, try to overturn the governor, I mean, the, not overturn, but you know, overrun. Override a veto. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of work. Yeah. And that's gonna, it's not gonna go away easily either. Right. They'll remember. I think we had a vote to try to override the veto two years ago, maybe it was, and it, we didn't, it didn't rate the number of votes needed to do so. I didn't vote for it. Gotcha. So just to go into the many different ways a bill could die really quick and tell me if I forget anything. Oh, so sure. we're going to test what, I, what I've learned yes. so far. Checking so, for understanding. <laughs> perfect. So a bill is introduced, however, it can die if the committee chair doesn't choose to hear it. So let's say every bill is assigned to at least two committees because it has to pass the rules committee. And then let's say it goes to Health and Human Services. And let's say, you know, the chair just doesn't think it's a good bill, so they right. could choose to not hear it. Right. And in that sense, the bill dies. Unless you can find another place to resurrect it on a strike everything. There, yes. And then, and I, that's I'm so glad you brought that up. And then that's one way it could die. It could also die if it's voted down. Um, and it could Which also- Which then if you're on the prevailing side, you can vote to reconsider it and pass it. Wait, explain that to me. Uh, it, so that's what I'm saying. Bills are not dead until signy die. Wow. So okay. there, with 16 members of the Senate and 31 members of the House, you can do anything except raise taxes and override the voters of Arizona. Those are higher thresholds. So if you have a bill and it didn't receive a hearing by the chair, you can then go to another chair of another committee, take the vehicle, it's called a vehicle, bill that has something, might not even be even the same topic at all, and you do a strike everything. Think of it as a piece of paper where your bill is written in pencil and you just erase the whole bill and you just rewrite a whole different bill in because the vehicle is the actual bill that's sitting in the other committee. So you can do a strike everything. You can 
one, another creative way to resurrect a bill is to find a bill that is germane and amend your bill onto another bill. So when it gets to the end of session, it would be very interesting for everybody to kind of watch those last couple of days of sessions. We can build bridges on bills. So what does it mean to build a bridge? Yes. That means you're in the same title, the Arizona Revised Statutes. You're in the same title. So you're in you're in the ballpark, for lack of a better term. All right. But you're not within the same section of the title. So you build a bridge, and it is using grammar and building a sentence to say, we're going to take this section of statute, reference this section of statute to get to this section of statute so I can put an amendment over here, which is a bill that died. And doesn't that, that have to exist, though, in order to reference it? And how do you get it into actual you, statute to reference it? You So somebody would drop a bill in Title 15, mm -hmm. and you do it in Section 2. But you want to, your bill in Section 7 died. You would take the existing bill, and you would write something in Section 2, and you would find something germane in Section 2 that can point to Section 7, and then once you build that bridge, the sentence in there, section 15102, blah, 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 is related to this. And then that's your bridge Whoa. over to a whole other section. And then you just put the whole rest of the bill over there. It's a bridge. That is awesome. If you really want to watch I really the legislative <laughs> graduate experience of signy die shenanigans, yeah. that would be at the end of session. Wow. It typically happens immediately following the budget. We're gonna we're gonna take the next few weeks to really negotiate the budget, and then once the budget is passed, there will be a flurry of activity to just finish. Sometimes we try to finish on the same day. So you've been up voting on a budget for thirty six hours, what? and everybody's just frustrated, exhausted, and, and cantankerous, and, and fried. But they're like, we just got to finish out session because nothing good's gonna happen if we stay open for business. So we just start. Finishing up all the, the dead bills. And that's when sometimes people can say, I want to resurrect this idea. So I'm going to do a... I'm going You're to gonna figure something I'm out. I'm going to figure something out. I'm going to find a bill that's germane. I'm going to build a bridge. I'm, I'm going to add it. You can't can add as an amendment? You can add... Well, if you build a bridge, if it's that's germane, you build a bridge. You can't do a striker on the floor. Oh, okay. And for our listeners that may not know what a striker is? Well, we just talked about a striker. Okay, a so it's ago. when you have a bill and you pretty right. much strike, technically strike everything. So you get everything right. off there and you almost re restart right. it. So um, we said after the bill gets sent to the governor, you know, he could either sign it, ignore it, or veto it. And um, are there any last, just to close up, are there any yeah, last uh, words? Yeah, for, for last sort of advice I'd like to give the listeners is it is super hard to pass a bill. I think people lose sight of the fact that um, a bill has to go through a number of steps in the process. You know, if you think about the old schoolhouse rock, I'm just a bill, right? <laughs> Sitting here on Capitol Hill. Oh, my goodness. It can die many deaths. <laughs> it has to live through many steps. And then it has to get signed by the governor. And when you get your signature, you are exhausted and you collapse on the floor and or celebrate. Many times that's where the work begins again because then it has to get implemented by the state agency or it has to get enacted by whoever is touched or directed by the legislation. And even though you think you have made your bill perfectly clear that you are going to do A, B, and C, it may not be enacted the way you had envisioned it. They may enact it 
X, Y, and Z, and you have to come back to the legislature to clarify what you meant, which is why I ran for office. The bills that were being passed in education had great short titles, sounded good in concept, but the way it was being enacted in the actual classroom was so far removed from what was testified in committee that I felt it was important to have somebody with that real life experience here at the Capitol helping to craft the legislation. So even though you passed a bill, your work is not done. If you think you're done and you just pack up your bags and go home and celebrate, I wouldn't even give yourself a 50-50 assessment of, of success because there's so much work that still needs to be done to making sure that it's implemented the way you wanted it implemented. So staying engaged, not only before session begins, but also during session, staying in touch with whoever the sponsor of your bill is, and then also being involved afterwards to right. make sure it is gonna be implemented right. the way it was envisioned. Right. That is incredible. Well, thank you so much for your time, Senator Carter. Absolutely, it was a it's been pleasure. a great session. Yeah, and um, I won't celebrate yet because there's a lot of work to do, but SB 1089 did pass the Senate and the House, and right now we are it is being sent to the governor. Yep. And we are waiting a signature. And we're waiting a signature. So I'm not saying pull out the champagne, but you know, yes. soon, maybe. Hopefully. All right, fingers crossed. Thank you so much for your time. Thank See you. See everyone. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye bye. Just in time for a quick recap. We learned that state legislators have the authority to create laws that can challenge the federal law under what's called policing powers. The example used for vaccination laws was Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Professor Leela Barraza talks to us about amending a bill, about what a strike everything to a bill means, and Senator Carter explains that through strike everythings and bills which are called vehicles, no bill is truly dead until signee die. Even those which have died in early legislative session may grow legs and come back, so nothing is truly dead until the day signee die is signed and the legislative session closes. Just to clarify the difference between laws, statutes, and acts. Acts are a type of law, but more specific. For example, a law is a term that refers to all rules and regulations. Meanwhile, acts are types of laws that pertain to certain specific circumstances and situations. A case study being there are laws against drunk driving. Meanwhile, a DUI is a specific act that pertains to drinking and driving. As per statute, it starts off as a bill proposed by a legislator. If and in when the bill passes and becomes law, the various provisions of the bill are called statutes. Statute codes are grouped by subject, and for example, a statute may forbid a certain act, direct a certain act, or make a declaration. We also are reminded that there is transparency from the Arizona government, and that we can look up bills on azledge.gov, track them, vote for or against them, and testify to them. So ladies and gentlemen, get out there. Next on Arizona Common Ground. So if you come to the legislature in January asking for new dollars, you're actually almost six months late. So my advice, if one takeaway, which I hope there'll be a number of takeaways, you have to work almost a year in advance before having something in the executive budget and ultimately potentially passed by the legislature as well.